Hey team, welcome to episode nine of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path of practice ownership. So up to this point, we focused primarily on the buyers and the buying side of this equation. But in this episode, we're gonna switch gears and address the seller. Primarily, we're asking, are you ready? Are you ready for an outright sale? Are you ready to walk away? We've said it time and time again, a practice transition is such an emotional process. Um, it's a business transaction, but there's, there's an emotional side of it. And selling at the right time for you is so, so important in a successful transition. Now, if you're a buyer and you're listening, don't tune out quite yet. Understanding the flip side of the coin is I think one of the most important pieces and, and, and provides so much clarity to, to the transition process. Before we get started, say hello, Mr. Loretto. Hello, people. <laughs> Hello, peeps. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing okay today. I'm excited to be talking about um, the other side of what we do. Yeah, me too. Um, can I just share some personal? Of course. So the 16-year-old daughter got her driver's license yesterday, so that means that dad <laughs> is no more chauffeuring of the 16-year-old girl who's in three sports and this and that. He's got a you know busier social life than dad, so it is a happy day for both child and for father. So not an emotional transition for you. <laughs> is that what you're saying? <laughs> I'm emotionally scared. You know, she's going to hurt herself or hurt someone else, but other than that, I'm, I'm a very happy camper. But you don't have to be in the car now, so it's Yes, okay. <laughs> yeah. What's happening in the Christy, uh, Chris world. Oh, not much. It's, uh, you know, life as we know it. Keep going. Gotta, I really don't have anything important to say today. <laughs> okay. Is that bad? I feel very boring. Sometimes when someone's like, hey, what's going on? Or what's your hobby? And I'm like, yeah, work. Children <laughs> and husband. I'm looking forward to that independence of where your kids are when they can take care of themselves. I'm a little ahead of you, girl. I'll, I'll let you know. Bus. I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we are going to talk about sellers today, as we said, um, and there are two areas that we are going to focus on today about you know kind of asking, are you ready, sellers? And that is you, the you of are you the seller ready personally? Mm -hmm. And then is your practice ready? Right. Okay. And so we'll dive into the you first. Um, the first question we always ask is not about the practice. Mm -hmm. It is, hey, seller, what does your financial plan look? What do your right. financial goals look like? Right. right? Um, because that, unfortunately, money right. drives everything, right? Yes. What is your advice to a seller if they are looking to transition and they're kind of starting to just explore the process? Yeah, I love our business because they just open up. I mean, we just can ask these types of questions, you know, what, what collections and overhead and what type of liquid assets they have. And they really just download their entire lives. Let me give you an example of somebody who is ready. So when we ask them about their, their financial plan, I want to be able to hear some answers that I feel comfortable with that if we do sell their uh, their life's work and essentially the business that's sending them and their spouse a check for potentially the rest of you know their life, you know, does this make sense that we're going to sell basically the goose that lays the golden eggs? And so let me give you an example. So I'm talking to a seller and I'm like, Charles, I'm fine. I promise you, I'm financially set. And they just downloaded this. Look, I've got a couple million saved. You know, I'm anticipating, I'm realistic. This is a million, million one practice. I know that I'll probably get around 800,000 after tax. I'm going to get, you know, maybe 600,000. My plan is to lease, you know, the building. And I think that I'd have a rental income from that entity. I've got a couple of rental properties. Properties, all that's paid for. I'll at least have seventy-five hundred there with my Social Security income at the age of this, and is another twenty-five hundred. 
and you know we're out kids are out of the house and we've got all the stuff paid for so I, I need you to know that yeah my, my, my spouse and I we're only living on you know, 11 12 grand a month and all these entities it's plenty the it's just icing on the cake that this wholesale of practice is coming in check right like I, I'm like good we, we, we are good yep. you know um, but you know and we're having those conversations about well I really need to make a hundred thousand dollars I really need to make two hundred thousand you know we're going to work four days back you know in the practice those are usually signs to me if they're not willing to open up to me and and we're going to take them down this road from a seller consulting standpoint I get a little nervous yep. what I always say is there's three parties to every equation in this example on the transition so there's a seller and they're selling something so a million dollar practice and maybe it makes four hundred thousand dollars a year and then the buyer is going to look at this equation and they're going to say this is a great opportunity this i can do the work i, I you know i'm going to make 400 grand after debt service when i pay the bank i'm going to net 300 this is amazing that's the second party the third party is the bank so the bank is going to look at the exact same thing that what we do when we represent our buyers throughout the year. We know what the bank's going to look at. And I think that for you, seller, it's important for you to understand also, what's the bank going to look at? And so if if you're asking to work back in the practice and you want to be there two, three days a week, and they're going to look at your production provider numbers and see that you're, you're normally a $4,000 guy or gal, there's not enough cash for this buyer. Yeah. And that's why... That that bank is going to say, we like you, buyer, but we don't like you, seller, because this business is not big enough. That may hurt your feelings. Yeah. Okay? But it's not the buyer. That, in this case, the third party is the bank. So I think it's very important that that you understand what that role is for the bank. They're just not going to hand away seven, dollars $800,000 for something that doesn't make financial sense to them. Absolutely. It's very important to clarify if you need to work back in the practice versus wanting to work right. back in the practice. And we'll talk about wanting to work back in the practice in a little bit. But if we talk to a seller and they say, I need to make $400,000, then you just need to keep owning the practice because that's how you're going to be able to make that. Um, we want our sellers to be involved in the transition and help the buyer and be there to to help them transition, but we don't need them to need the financial money right. because once you sell, you've sold and you are working back for that buyer. And so there you don't have that guaranteed ownership cash flow anymore. So right. not you cannot require that the buyer pay you $300,000 of the ownership cash flows. You have to think on there. They're going to have debt. How are they going to live now? They're giving you the million dollars or whatever the value is. Can to, I share something? To be an owner, yeah. So I had this conversation the other night, and this is a very emotional seller. I mean, very emotional. And we were dealing with the business. She got full asking price, and then we've got full lease rate. She is completely financially set, so check, check, check. But she just really wants to work back in the practice. And in this case, she was a specialist. And, you know, she was going to work back and the going rate for this particular specialty is anywhere between twelve to 1500 a day, but just wasn't enough work. And so what I got her to agree to and the buyer to agree to, she worked 500 bucks a day, right? She just wanted to Because she back. wanted to work. She yeah. just wanted to be involved in the business. And so I think a seller, you know, consultings and buyer consultant agent, we've got to be able to to remove that emotion and say, look, if, the, if it's just this, you want to be there, stop looking at the number anymore. We got more than what we wanted for the practice. We've got an outstanding lease for 10 years. We are set. Yep. So if you want to be involved, then be able to pull that emotion away and be able to work back for it lesser. Why? Because it worked for the buyer. 
and for the back. Absolutely. So before we go too far down the emotional road, because I know we, we both have a lot of examples there, financially, again, going back to a seller who financially doesn't or does need right. to work, right. three parties, buyer, seller, lender, another thing we see is a lender maybe requiring the seller to work back. So maybe they are financially set, yes. but a bank says, hey, because of the production and because of the size of your practice of what you built, you have to work back. Yes. And so maybe they don't want to, but the bank and the buyer and the practice kind of requires them. So an example kind of that you've seen there. Yeah. So let's play with the numbers. So in general dentistry, that's a million five practice. It does a million two doctor Remember the general rule, as a general dentist, about 75% of the overall collections of the business is going to be doctor. Approximately 25 is going to be hygiene. So in this example, it does $1.2 million or $100,000 a month in doctor production slash collections. And if you, the buyer, or if you're you, the seller, and your buyer has only been able to contribute or be able to, from an adult restorative, only doing $60,000 of collections that's been verified by the bank. I mean, you got to understand, these banks, they're not just going to look at, oh, you got two years out, three years out. Oh, you did an AGD GPR program. Oh, you've been here, associate. Oh, you came from the military. They want verified production. So they're not only just looking at the W-2 wages that person has been making, but they also want to see what production. So if they're only been able to verify they're doing 60000 guess how much they're going to ask senior doctor to stay back and work? That one, they want a full year, and guess what? They want to basically budget for $40,000 of doctor production. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's a math game to them, to, like a little puzzle of, okay, you're doing this, you're doing this, so we need you, seller, so i got to put you in here. Hey, seller, I'm sorry, but we don't need you. you got to know that going in. Yeah. And so we talk about, are you ready? If you really want to be involved... You know, maybe the game plan is grow the practice, grow it so big to where you have essentially guaranteed your position there in that practice because you know that young buyer is not going to be able to do that. Well, and be proactive about that. Also, don't get yourself financially set and mentally ready to walk away yesterday and then go to find someone and be upset now that you have to work. So if, you, right. if you've grown a big practice, kind of expect that and say, hey, I'm going to maybe sell a year before I'm emotionally ready to walk away because I know I'm going to have to work back. And the last thing you want to do is have to work back when you're ready to be done yesterday, right? I mean, that mentally puts you in a bad place. So obviously the price is a big piece of the puzzle. Yes. And so what we want to remind people of, though, is that that lump sum of money you're going to get for the sale and an outright sale is one piece of that puzzle. Mm-hmm. If you work back, you're going to get compensation there. If you own the building, you're going to get money there for the lease. Yes. Try to think of the overall financial picture of what you're going to get because that's probably going to be a big piece of that final financial plan, you know, that last lump sum that's going to go into that retirement account that's going to help you meet those goals. Try to think about it as a big picture and not just the price that I need to negotiate to get to the certain dollar amount because it can add a lot of stress to that right. negotiation process. Yeah. We've got a seller that we're working with right now. It's a, a father-son relationship. And so the, the senior person in this case that says, look, I need to make X dollars. It's twelve, fifteen. I think it's $15,000 a month. And so we did a seller finance on that one. So we came up with the dollar amount, you know, $800,000. We divided that out over a 10-year period. 
and we had an interest rate roughly, I think we did like 5% interest for, for the buyer slash for the son. We've got lease set up for 10 years and the senior doctor in this case is going to work back. And it more than compensates him for his financial plan. And it's a, it's a slam dunk for the buyers. Well, so there's lots of different ways that we can do this. We can do a lump sum. We could do maybe a staggered sell where they give you a portion now, a portion later. You can carry the whole thing. So there's lots of different uh, ways to construct the actual sale. Yeah, absolutely. So emotionally, um, if you're financially set, the next big thing we want to make sure we focus on is are you emotionally ready? And I think the first piece, if you're thinking about seller doing an outright sale or 100% sale, walk away, whatever you want to call it, the first thing I think that you have to know is are you partnership material or not? Right. Okay. And we'll talk about partnerships in our next episode. But if you're partnership material, there are more options for you as far as slowly transitioning out or, you know, maybe starting this process 10 or 15 years before you're ready or growing a very large practice. But you know that about yourself. Definitely. Right? Like, you know, am I someone who wants to work side by side with someone and and grow and kind of manage this together? Or am I just someone who would prefer to do things my way? And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Um, But knowing that is important as you contemplate what does my transition out of this look like and into my next phase whatever that is, is knowing is it a partnership or not? Because the timing of what you're doing matters based upon that. If you're the guy or gal who's constantly looking at everyone's shoulder and just nitpicking and it's your way or the highway and it's just like you're always right and they're always wrong, there's nothing wrong with it. You're probably a surgeon. (laughs) You're probably just one of the, the top clinicians in your class and you've taken all these extensive CE course, if you understand that person that you're working with is not going to have the same skill set, but you got to allow them their time to be what you are, and you got to be patient with them. But if you're like that and you're looking for a partnership, you've got to you understand that they're just not going to be to your caliber and have that patience. If you don't have that patience, let's don't force this. Yeah. And to be honest with you, partnerships are hard. Yes. They're a work marriage. Um, and some people have a marriage and they don't want another marriage. Right. And that's okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, that's okay. It's not your cup of tea. You do you and we'll do us. And that's part of it. But being honest with yourself and really thinking about that and not trying to have a partnership if you're not partnership material. Right. But we're not talking partnership today. No. No. Just uh, sell. Next time. No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so the next big thing, and this kind of goes hand in hand, but on a different mindset is that are you ready to work for someone else? I know. I mean... If you if you're not partnership material and you've worked by yourself for 30 years, you are going to hand the keys over to someone, likely someone who's younger from a different generation, who does things differently than you and has different ideas, and you're going to be working back and kind of an employee of that person, and that is mentally, I think, one of the hardest things that we see yes. sellers struggle with. It, it is. They are ready and they want to do this. The financial plans, yes. And emotionally, yes, Charles, I really want to do this. And then they do it. And then now they're getting a new direction from the buyer. It's within that first year, it's the best day of their career. And it's kind of like the worst day of their career. And it starts off with the worst part, which is there's just something sad that that they're just missing because someone's telling them what to do for the first time. It's a struggle. You know, we talk to our sellers after we close and we'll sometimes get this. Yeah. And they're having a little bit of that struggle. And the vast majority, they ramp up to the, oh my God, this is just amazing. So it, it definitely gets there. But, you know, our most rewarding piece, I think, at least at this point in my career, is just being able to sort out as much as this as we can ahead of time mm-hmm. to make sure they are emotionally, you know, and financially ready. Because we don't want you, seller, 
to go down this road until you're really prepared for it. Yeah. And it may be that you say, hey, I can't imagine that I'm ever going to be ready to work for someone else. Yeah. And so I can do what I can to help them transition and I'm going to do it, but it's going to be limited and I'm, right. I don't want to work back right. for one year, one day a week because I, I, that's just not how I'm wired. Yeah. And so again, being honest and preparing yourself for that, I think the sellers we work with who have prepared themselves for that and understand and are realistic about what they're doing and don't expect to still be there and being in charge, right. those are the most successful ones. Yeah, and, and I'll give you a heads up, seller. Your day's coming where your body is going to tell you that you're ready. And that's also a very emotional part of this. As dentistry is a very, very demanding profession. So that, you know, we just see this so much. It's like, you don't understand, I'm in this pain. I had this surgery. I got this. And now all of a sudden you're going to do an immediate sell. And that's that's stressful on the emotional side, and certainly stressful on the on the on the financial side. So, prepare for this road. Yeah, and I and I think sometimes um, I always kind of laugh when when a seller is most of the time during the initial process of finding a buyer is surprised that the buyers aren't as prepared or don't seem as knowledgeable about ownership. Right. Um, of course they don't, right? Like you've been doing it for 30 years. Of course they're not going right. to have the same thought process as you. They're going to make mistakes. They're not going to do the things the same way. They're going to value something different than you value it from a technology or maybe staffing or whatever the change is. Yeah. That's just part of it, right? right. It's just a life cycle of ownership and, and 30 years from now, they'll probably look back at their early selves and say, how in the world did I ever do that? I can't believe I didn't mess this up earlier. Um, So it's just one of those things. I, I found a quote when I was researching something the other day that said, there are two kinds of people. One kind says, look how great I was. When I retired, everything fell apart. And the other says, look what a great job I did when I retired. I left, and the, the person that took over just had so much success, and yeah. that makes me so happy, yeah. right? That's true. There are two kinds of people, and I think what we hope is that you emotionally prepare yourself, you financially prepare yourself, and that you're proud that when you sell your practice, it goes to someone who maybe doesn't do it the exact same way, but it grows and it thrives, um, and this thing you've created kind of continues. Yeah. So that's kind of, uh, I, I think, making sure you are ready is really important. The next thing that I want to talk about is the practice. Okay. Right? And this is kind of the more operational piece of it. Can I say one more thing about that? (sighs) I've always got more to add, don't I? (laughs) God, stay on script, Charles. Stay on script. Dear seller, these young people, yes, they are millennials, and yes, they're different than you are, but they are drivers. It took them so much to get into dental school, and they do have significant debt, And I think you just need to give them uh, some grace about this transition. And I know you may be nervous, or even if you're the buyer, you might be nervous this is not going to work out. It's the opposite. You're going to knock it out of the freaking park, buyer and seller. It may hurt you a little bit, but they're going to take your practice. Typically, if it's an $800,000 practice, once they buy it, it's going to be a million, two million, five. We've seen this over and over and over again. These young people, they just come out and they just truly knock it out of the park. So give them grace. Just let them, you know, understand that they are going to maybe make some changes in practice, but it is going to be for the best interest of your team and for, for all those patients. So, uh, so all this is negativity about millennial bills. We got, they're going to, they're doing great. They're doing awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So the practice, we have to ready the practice. You've readied yourself. You're good. Um, the practice, if you are preparing 
you know, one to two years ahead of the time when you think, hey, I might be ready to retire in the next one, two, five years, there are things you can do for your practice operationally that can kind of help it set yourself up for success. Right. And so the space. So obviously you have a building, you either own it or you lease it. You know, you've got your number of operatories. I think that there are things you can do to that space to make it more attractive. Sure. So room to grow. Is there room for expansion? Is there not room, right? If you have three chairs versus six chairs, this goes again to your point of there's three parties to a transaction. And if there's only three chairs, probably not room for you, right? Right. And so is your lease negotiated? Is it current? Have you put a lot of time into doing that or have you just let it kind of renew over and over again and your rates kind of crep up? What are your thoughts on the space and kind of prepping that? Yeah. So, you know, again, if it's a, it could be a very successful, I've seen this where it's like a 900,000 collection practice out of three chairs. That's really difficult to do to get 300 grand out of a per operatory basis. General rule between, you know, 200, uh, maybe 225, maybe 250 a, a chair is a general rule. But if you're getting some 900,000, just really efficient, great overhead, and you now you want to transition to practice, but you want to work back, there's just not chairs. And so that, that's going to, be, it's going to be a problem. So ideally, if you're planning to stay on post, post-closing, then obviously we need to have chairs. At least it needs to be space big enough that we could put the additional chairs in to essentially have a spot for you. Right. But we want to be careful when we talk about updating and expanding and all of those things. We want to make sure that we're doing those things smartly, but we want to make sure we're doing these things that that will add value to your practice or make it more marketable. But we want to caveat that if I go out and spend $250,000 to upgrade my practice to the best finish outs and maybe add a new operatory, and then I go to sell it the very next year, you seller are not going to get $250,000 extra on the value, right? right? It is not a dollar for dollar increase. Right. Now, look, I promise you, salespeople are going to try to sell you on something different. They're going to try to sell you, hey, you need to invest all this new equipment, all this new technology. you got to prepare for, you know, to bring this person in to make your practice more marketable. Let me just make it real simple. You've got a million-dollar practice, and it nets whatever, $450,000. It's in a major city or somewhat of an attractive area. It's not perfect updated equipment, not perfect updated technology. The value of that business, let's just say on the million dollars, is going to be $750,000. Because you went out and spent $250,000 and you made it look perfect and beautiful does not mean that business is going to value a million bucks. Remember, buyer, seller, bank. Guess what it's going to be worth? Roughly $750,000. Now, I'm not saying to, that we need to have 30-year-old chairs and shag carpet because now all of a sudden the buyer is just not going to buy it at all. So you just need to be reasonable in that. I, I always say that when you're investing in technology, you're investing in any piece of equipment, you just need to look at the return on investment for that thing only. Is How do I get a return on investment for this decision and then maybe an added benefit might be that it might add an incremental dollar amount Correct. to my practice but not dollar for dollar right. for certain yeah so i mean if you want to go do a fresh coat of paint update some reception room furniture maybe if it, you do have carpet maybe it will would make sense right. if you own the building to replace that from an equipment or technology standpoint, if you don't have computers and you're not paperless or you're not digital, maybe investing in one of those pieces would increase the value incrementally and make it a more marketable practice for a buyer. The point is to be very careful about those 
and not expect the dollar for dollar return. And it also depends if you're saying, hey, I'm 60 and by 65, I'd like to retire. And so I want to start prepping over the next five years. Well, then by all means, you know, make make little improvements and investments over the five years because you're likely going to, from a profitability standpoint, see the return on those. So that is the key is that the profitability drives it, not necessarily, I just went out and spent $100,000 yesterday and now my value should be $100,000 per year. I take my favorite phone call is the guy or gal that is... 60 that says, I want like a three, four, five year plan of how to transition my practice, either a partnership or to sell it outright. Or I had a call yesterday with a guy in Italy that was two years out and he's kind of wide open to where he wants to go. It's like, I love that because you're able to kind of mold and shape them. And I gave him some, you know, some tips on, you know, things to do. And it was weird. He, he listened to the, uh, to the podcast in, in, in Italy. It's just like kind of. I love it. Yeah, I know. It's kind of fun, right? <laughs> Another thing is um, maintaining your equipment. So if you do have older equipment, yeah. just make sure it's maintained right. and that it's in working order. Um, if you don't feel like, let's say you weren't planning and at the end of this year you'd like to retire and you want to find someone, um, go out and get all your equipment service. You can say, just like in a house, hey, I just had my HVAC service. You can right. tell it's in working order. Hey, I just had all these things. Someone came out, they repaired them. They're in good working order. Again, that's going to look good to a buyer. Next piece I want to talk about is more from a financial standpoint and goes along with that profitability, which is your overhead. Yes. Okay. Profitability drives the value and drives the marketability of a practice. I will pay more for a more profitable practice than I will a less profitable practice. Yes. So if you are one, two, three years out and you look at your overhead and there are certain cost categories that have crept up over time and you can make some effort to reduce those, you will see an increase in your value from every dollar is more profitable will likely result in some kind of you know, proportionate increase in value. So yep. that is really, really important. So let me explain what's going on here, sellers, is your financial plan is working. You've got your couple million saved. You've got you know rental income. You, you've got it all figured out. And now all of a sudden, the number one thing you care about is time. Time with your family, just more time off, vacation, grandchildren, whatever it is. And so all of a sudden, you slowly but slowly take your million-dollar practice down to a 925. Slowly take it down to a 925, you know, down to an 850. But because you care so much for your employees, yep, you continue to let those employees stay there. They continue to get raises. And all of a sudden, your overhead has really crept up over the last three, four, five years. And, you know, now that practice is just not as marketable. And you can't just say, well, it used to be a million dollars and I was working 190 days and now I'm working 150. So the new person would just need to, you know, to, to work more and therefore I want more. It's not the way it works. Now, if you're okay with this from a financial you know, standpoint, like I'm okay with that, not a problem. Right. But the time to sell a stock is when the stock is rising, not on the decline. No one wants to invest in a stock that is is uh, is declining. So you've got to really uh, think that process through. And again, understand that there are different rules that banks have when they're looking at declining revenues. Certainly buyers are going to think less of it as well. So just keep keep that in mind. Nothing wrong with that as long as you're emotionally and financially ready that that could take place. Yeah, and you don't need to grow the practice. You just right. need to maintain stability. stability. Yep. So that, that's the important thing there. Yep. Um, so I think we've covered a couple of these other points. But one of the things, another one I wanted to touch on that we see often, and it's often oftentimes with older practices is these shared space arrangements or shared equipment and you and doc who's next door has basically said hey 
you know, we're going to buy a piano together and it's in the shared space and it's a handshake deal and you trust each other. Just remember that as a buyer coming in, three parties, buyer, seller, bank, buyer coming in doesn't have that same relationship with that other doc. They're going to want something more in writing. A bank is going to need some kind of security that that equipment is the buyer who they're about to lend money to. So if you have those type of arrangements, document them, do the legwork in front so the buyer feels like they're coming into something that is already arranged that they don't have to worry about, hey, I'm not going to have use of that piano once I sell or once I buy because I don't know that other doctor. Banks will look at that. And so it's just one more thing that if you're already doing it, let's just do it. Okay. Christy, I just feel like we've only touched the tip of the iceberg here. I wish we had like a list, you know, like a list for all the buyers that had like maybe, I don't know, 90 points where they could just go and reference kind of this, this checklist. We need to do that. You know what my superpower is? What is it? Making those things happen. It's already done. Oh, it's already done. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I wish, I just wish in a perfect world, we had like this seller transition plan and a guide and it just, just really walk the seller through this. Project. I just wish we had that. We do. And if you go to our website and click on resources. Are you kidding? We have resources. this. It's already up and going. Seller transition guide. <laughs> we also have one for buyers called the buyer checklist where it has 90 things that you need to think about. And actually, I think both are good for the other to look at, Absolutely. right? And there's a flip side of every coin. So if you're a buyer, of course, look at the buyer checklist, but then also read through that transition guide. If you're a, if you're a seller, look at that transition guide because it's going to help you. But then also look at the buyer checklist, and, right. and you can kind of think of the other side of the coin on both those pieces. The goal is, in these pockets is really just to educate the party. So we really want to educate you, the buyer, so you know exactly what to think about prior to an acquisition. We'll talk partnerships next week. And then if you do come across this amazing selling doctor that you've got this connection with and they just don't have that plan for you, then we want to potentially work with the two of you. We'd work on a flat fee. We'd interview both of you separately to make sure that you're both kind of going down the same page. And then we would do a consulting arrangement to guide you through this. Same thing with you, seller. If you, you know, you're listening, you've got this amazing candidate, but you're not sure about, I don't know, the valuation, not sure about the timing, not sure, you know, uh, how much you should sell and, and when it's going to work. Is it an asset sale? Is it a stock sale? You know, the building and him or her, you know, working, you know, back for you and how long it takes place. Uh, we want to guide you through that. Mm-hmm. And so, again, we work on a consulting relationship either with the buyer that represents a seller who's got a complete game plan. Mm-hmm. Or we work with the buyer and seller that they don't have a game plan, and we can be that consulting kind of agent, you know, for them. So right, but the fun first, stuff. Yeah, and the first step to me is I would love to have you as a client, and and that's kind of what we do on a daily basis for our clients. What we want to do first, though, is just ask you, are you ready? And have these preliminary conversations. And we do that again for free. And I'm not sure that's a good business decision, but it's what we do because we like to do it. And that's what we want. We want you to, as a, as a seller to say, Hey, I know this is in my future and I need to know if I'm ready and use us as a resource, use these resources we have on our website, this podcast, other things that we have available to say, I want to be as ready as I can to make it as successful as I can for myself and for a buyer. And that's what we're here for. So if that's you and you want us, reach out on our website. So 
think that's, I think we covered what I wanted to today. Can I get a high five today? High five. That's what I'm talking about. So that's all we got. Next time we're gonna ask, uh, are you ready for a partnership? And that's episode 10, so stay tuned for that if that's you. Again, check out our website for Transition Resources. Subscribe to Transition Talk on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or like us on Facebook or LinkedIn. It's the easiest way to know when we release new episodes. So have a great week. Awesome. And talk to you next time. All right, see you.